The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. I walk a straight line, shackled and chained. Oh, gruesome Gertie is calling my name. There is no mercy in this penitentiary. Just ask the Hillstring Gang, Rango. Hey everyone, and welcome back to Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making. The complete story of America's bloodiest prison. And I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And we got some executions to talk about today, Woody Overton. This is so interesting. Yeah, uh, you know, last week we talked about people getting exonerated off of death row, and that's that's been a big hit. We also talked about some of them deserve to be on death row. Yes, and get not to breathe anymore. Right, and so the state actually is state sanctioned homicide, the executions, and I think I told you this before on the their death certificate when it's um, caused death, it it says homicide. All right, and the first uh, the first person we want to tell you about, and these are not necessarily in any particular order, y'all, uh, is a guy by the name of Leslie Dale Martin. And yeah. L- Leslie Dale Martin was executed by lethal injection in Louisiana in May of tw- 2002. Yep. So before we get into kind of his crime, I'm going I'm to tell you some interesting little side notes on him, his final meal was boiled crawfish, mm. crawfish stew, mm. a garden salad with Italian dressing, oatmeal cookies, and oh. whole milk with chocolate syrup. That's crazy. I always like to hear what they what they choose for that, right? Yeah, and in his final words, he actually declined a final statement. So he yeah. did not have any final words. Nothing to say. Horrible guy. Let me tell you about him. Mm. On June 20th of 1991, Martin and Michael Rowland went to the 12th Street Lounge in Lake Charles about 11 p.m. After playing pool and drinking beer for about two hours, the victim, who was a college student and part-time employee at a pizza outlet, also went to the lounge between 11 p.m. and midnight with some of her friends. Right. Martin and the victim met through Roland, who had known the victim previously. Now, during the evening, the victim danced with Martin while each shared drinks and companionships with other friends at the lounge. And about 1.30 a.m. the next morning, after Roland and most of the victim's friends had left the lounge, the victim asked Martin for a ride home, and Martin agreed. No one ever saw the victim alive again. About 7.30 a.m., Martin visited Leo Gumbelet his carpentry supervisor on a recent job and stated he had met a blind college student the night before and left the lounge with her and woke up on Galveston beach, not knowing where he was. Martin's clothes were dirty and he pointed to vomit in his ashtray stating, I guess that bitch threw up in my truck. Uh. 
when Martin returned to his aunt's home where he was residing at the time, he was wearing different pants than he wore at the time he left the previous evening. He had no shirt or shoes. He washed his clothes in his truck seat cover, telling his aunt they got muddy when he engaged in mudslinging with Roland. Martin also had scratches on his chest and back, a bite mark on his shoulder, a tear under his tongue. Mm-hmm. He told his cousin he had fought with a country boy in the lounge. Yeah, he fought all right. The same morning, Martin told Huey Rushing that he thought he may have killed someone the previous evening and asked Rushing to provide him with an alibi, saying he had spent the night at Rushing's home. Rushing refused, and Martin told him that on the way back to Lake Charles, the woman threatened to report him for rape. Martin talked about a shed in Iowa, a town in Calicashew Parish, and related that he had put a rope around the girl's neck, choked her, cut her throat, dug her eyes out, right. and jumped up and down on a wooden board placed across her neck. In response to a question, Martin asserted that he did not want to be turned in for rape again. In 1984, y'all, Martin had raped his own 14-year-old sister at knife point want to go back to prison. while their mother was in the hospital. He was sentenced to 10 years for sexual battery, but served only five. Rushing related Martin's story to his girlfriend, but they deemed it unreal until Rushing heard nine days later that a girl was missing after leaving the 12th Street Lounge. Rushing reported the story to police, who found the victim's decomposing body in a search of sheds in the Iowa area. The police found a rope around her neck and a wooden board nearby, which contained human blood. The police obtained a warrant and arrested the victim. So that is why this guy mm. ended up on death row. Right. I mean, he cut out the eyes actually after she was dead. And But they said he told somebody later on he did that. Just she, he said she, she could never identify me. She didn't have her eyes. Wow. And jumped up and down on her neck with a board. Uh, basically, Bastard. almost decapitating her. Yeah. Disgusting. I mean, and like I said, some people don't deserve to read. And his whole deal was he didn't want to go back to, he actually ended up uh, raping her is what I believe, but he didn't want to go back to prison. In 2002, the Baton Rouge Advocate reported on that execution, and it said condemned killer Leslie Dale Martin went to his death Friday night for the rape and murder of 19-year-old McNeese State University co-ed before facing the executioner executioner's needles martin offered no public apology for the slaying louisiana state penitentiary warden burl kane said he was pronounced dead at 8 16 p.m he was 35 and uh we're not going to get into you know all the crimes i just told you about but woody to me it's a situation where um you know where this guy had absolutely no remorse for what he did, which which was evident in the fact that he didn't say anything. But, you know, even when he was on death row, people ask about people escaping from prison. In November of 1999, Martin and three other condemned inmates rocked Angola when they escaped from their cells in the building that houses Louisiana's death row. After officers found them missing, the chase team got involved. And a bloodhound tracked them to a swampy area of the prison grounds near the Mississippi River. Now, Kane blamed the security lapse on a guard who accepted a bribe to smuggle hacksaw blades yep. to the inmates and inattention by other officers who should have noticed the men cutting their cell doors in a window right. during a two or three week period. Yeah, I mean, death row, you got one job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, That's no. Nope. No one was prosecuted because of that incident, however. Um, now, in January of, of uh, 2000, two guards reported hearing Martin and another inmate discussing another possible in- escape attempt, including the taking of hostages, Kane, Kane had reported. Right. He immediately ordered Martin's transfer to the death chamber holding cell at Camp F, which is several miles from the death row building at the prison's yep. front Way gate in the back. The death so row, this guy was not a good guy, right? Death row by, is at, by the front, front gate. The death house is way, way back in the middle of 18,000 acres mm-hmm. in hell of jail, right? Uh, yeah. uh, he's a horrible, horrible, was a horrible human being. 
So I'm going to take you to the next one, y'all. And this guy, I can't tell you how many hours I spent talking to him. Um, I can see his face right now. He was housed in a cell right by the booking room in Livingston Parish. And he was, they had a little trap door open. He was just nice as could be, spoke very well and everything, but he was truly a monster. And his name was Gerald Bordelon. And is he was down for murder and rape of his stepdaughter, Courtney LeBlanc, okay? And the, the, he murdered her on November 15th of 2002. And technically, I mean, they have it listed as East Baton Rouge Parish, but it wasn't. The, the uh, Her body was found on the East Baton Rouge Parish side of the Amy River. Uh, and she was naked except for a pair of shorts and one shoe. Uh, um, but he he ended up confessing that he killed her in the LP. Earlier life, Borlon was sentenced to 10 years in prison after pleading guilty in 1982 to sexual battery, and he was sentenced to 20 years in prison for his 1990 conviction for forcible rape and two counts of aggravated crime against nature. But... What often happens, he got out on parole. And while on parole, he met Jennifer Cock uh, over the internet and married her a year later. Um, y'all, the, the, they lived in Mississippi, and the Mississippi uh, uh, child welfare people came and told Cock, hey, he's a, he's a convicted sex offender, and in, instead of doing anything to the positive as a mom, she moved into Livingston Parish. But I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit, but I'll tell you the story. They married, but they separated after 12-year-old Courtney LeBlanc and her sister told uh, Jennifer, the mom, that Bordelon touched him inappropriately. Bordelon abducted LeBlanc in 2002 from his estranged wife's trailer while with a knife from the kitchen and took her to, to Mississippi where he forced her to perform oral sex on him and drove back to Louisiana and strangled her. When the blonde's body was found 11 days later, she was wearing only a pair of shorts and one tennis shoe. Bordelon led police to her body in a wooded area by the Amy River in Livingston Parish, about 20 miles from Baton Rouge. State Supreme Court opinion upholding Bordelon's right to waive all appeals says Bordelon had a diagnostic profile of sexual sadism, and he told psychiatrists his crimes involved an escalating pattern of violence. And, y'all, he also told him that if he ever got out, he's going to do it again. But... Um, Cock, the um, Courtney's mama, was later convicted of child abuse by Mississippi jury for failing to keep Bordelon away from her children, and she received a suspended five-year sentence. But y'all, what they don't tell you in here is the judge made her every year on on uh, Courtney's birthday. He made Jennifer, the mom, write a letter to Courtney apologizing for not keeping the monster away from him. So. He goes to, uh, you know, Angola. Actually, y'all, he was the last person executed in the state of Louisiana it, uh, to this date. And his final meal was fried sacale. And for you Yankees, that would be crappies or white bass. Um, crawfish etouffee, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and cookie, cookies. And write his final words if you're wondering just before his execution borderline apologized to LeBlanc's mother uncle and sister who witnessed the execution and he asked for their forgiveness he says I'm sorry I don't know if that brings any closure or peace it should have never happened but it did and I'm sorry he said choking up and halting to collect himself his eyes red rim from crying borderline added I'd like to apologize to my family and tell them that I love them now y'all that's because we used his own sister to get the confession out of him. He he denied it and everything during the investigation and then brought him back to the cemetery in Mississippi and all that. There's a lot more to it. But after he was convicted, the Times Picking on New Orleans writes this. A convicted sex offender who has confessed to strangling his 12-year-old stepdaughter and leaving her partial clothed body in a wooded area of Livingston Parish in 2002 was executed Thursday night. Gerald Bordelon, 47, was pronounced dead at 6.32 p.m. at the Louisiana State Penitentiary after receiving the lethal drug injections. He was sentenced to death for the murder of Courtney LeBlanc, who he kidnapped at a knife point from her home seven years ago. And again, um, 
they tell about what he, his last words were. Uh, but he was wearing a white T-shirt with a gold cross that was given to him by his 19-year-old daughter with whom he had exchanged necklaces earlier in the day. He had given her a cross made by fellow inmates. It was Louisiana's first execution since 2002, which Jim t- just told you about. And Borlaw's lawyer, Joe Kraft, I've known her for years. She takes all the high-profile cases and police cases. Uh, she said Borlaw became the first person in Louisiana to successfully refuse a death sentence appeal since the death penalty was reinstated more than three decades ago. When Borlaw asked to waive his appeal, he said he would commit the same crime again if ever given the chance. Anyway, Borlaw says, I took Courtney and told her if she screamed and hollered or tried to get away, I was going to kill her. And he did this during the videotape confession, y'all. Borlaw met with his family at the Angola prison Thursday and the hours before his execution for his last meal. I already told you about, but he had fried saccolade, top of crawfish, etouffee, a peanut butter and apple jelly sandwich, chocolate chip cookies, and... Three of LeBlanc's relatives watched execution, including LeBlanc's uncle, Damien Cock, his sister, Brittany, uh, her sister, Brittany Boudreaux, and her mother, Jennifer Cock, who was convicted of child abuse for allowing Bordelon near her children after they accused him of molestation. Sniffling could be heard from the separate room where they watched Bordelon die. The family didn't speak to reporters after his death. After Borlaw made his final statement, seven men strapped him to the black padded gurney, removed his shackles, wearing a T-shirt and blue jeans. He stared at the ceiling as prison officials closed the curtains for the insertion of the uh, IV, and the curtains were reopened. Borlaw spoke to Warren Borough Kane. He took several deep breaths as the drugs took hold. Kane said the convicted killer again repeated his remorse and asked Kane to tell his daughter that he wasn't afraid. At 6.32 p.m., Kane said, we now pronounce Gerald Bordelon dead. We've sent his soul for the final judgment. So, y'all, that's, you know, it's a lot to that story. Uh, I know a lot of personal knowledge on it, like stuff, crazy shit, like letters that uh, Cock wrote to him and, and everything else, and it's just horrible, horrible case. When I was there and I got called in, Jim, I was telling you about this earlier, he was locked up in the Livingston Parish Jail before he went to trial for Courtney's uh, murder. And he actually escaped with another guy named John Priest. Uh, him and John Priest escaped. We called uh, Gerald Bordelon the next morning, like not even 500 yards away, hiding behind a convenience store. And John Priest a couple of days later. Um, but uh, he look, he looked you in the eye, and he said, "Hey, Mister Woody, how you doing this evening?" Just real well spoken, and just you'd never think this guy was a serial rapist and ultimately Pedophile. murder. Yeah, ultimately murder. Yeah, yeah and and uh, an example of someone who never would have stopped. Right, and, and and that's I don't know if I hit this. Uh, he absolutely waived all his appeals to the death penalty now. We know from lifers out there that worked death row that Derek Todd Lee was in the, in the cell next to, to Borderline, and they said he would mess. Derek Todd Lee would fuck with him every day from sun up. It was like entertainment. The, the, yeah. Hey, baby raper, why don't you just kill yourself? And da 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 da. And he was just messing all day long. But he waived all um, his rights to appeals, and the state of Louisiana fought him for five years to prove that he was sane enough to be killed. Right, crazy. It is crazy, but that dude, I'm telling you, doesn't didn't deserve to breathe. And we're going to tell you about our next uh, individual, and that is Dobie Gillis Williams. And Dobie Gillis Williams was executed by lethal injection on January 8th of 1999. So we're going to tell you about his crime on the evening of July 6, 1984. Miss Sonia Nippers fell asleep on her living room sofa while watching TV. She awoke just past midnight, stopped in the bathroom before going to bed. When she closed the bathroom door, she discovered Dobie Williams hiding behind it, pantless. Right. Pantless, right. And brandishing a knife. So Sonia began to scream. Williams locked the bathroom door and stabbed Sonia repeatedly with the knife before fleeing out the bathroom window. Although fatally injured, she was unable to lock unlock the bathroom door after he fled. 
Her husband carried her into the living room where she bled to death in his arms. Mr. Nippers informed police that his wife had screamed that a black man was trying to kill her. At the time, Williams was staying at the home of his grandfather on a five-day furlough while serving a prison sentence for a prior burglary uh, conviction. Police suspected Williams because his grandfather's home was nearby. Williams was taken in for questioning and ultimately confessed to the crime after investigators observed fresh scratches and abrasions on his arms and legs. Williams' statement led investigators to the murder weapon found in the grass outside of Nipper's home and to the shirt that he was wearing at the time of the crime, which he had hidden underneath the porch of the grandfather's house. Despite Williams' claims of mistaken identity, recent DNA testing, Woody, concluded that he was the killer. Indeed, he was. So he 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 denied this stuff before DNA was a thing, right. said he didn't do it, Denial and then when they came up with DNA, they said, oh, we got proof, proof. that he did it. So... Uh, they executed him via lethal injection, and the article that was published the day after uh, gives you some insight into how that day was. Dobie Gillis Williams was executed at Louisiana State Penitentiary for the bloody murder of Sanja Nippers. I just want to say I don't have any hard feelings Against anybody, he said calmly in a final statement. How nice of him. Yeah, Not right. to have hard feelings. Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, God bless y'all. God bless. The time of death was announced at 6.48 p.m. Williams, 38, had avoided 11 execution dates in the past, including two which were canceled earlier this year, which was the year he was executed, right. for the last-minute appeals. Warden Burl Kane talked quietly with Williams for two minutes as the lethal solution was being injected in his arm and neck. Williams could not hear what they said, but Keynes later expressed uh, that Williams felt sorry for putting people through so much anguish, although he never admitted, even with DNA evidence, to killing uh, Miss Nippers. At the end of the conversation, Williams lifted his head slightly and smiled, the warden put his hand under William's head, eased it back on the gurney. Two or three minutes later, William stopped moving. Among the witnesses was a spiritual advisor, Sister Helen Prejean. Yeah. Uh, she held a cross and prayed as the execution took place. Williams wore a silver cross on a chain around his neck. Uh, other witnesses included Miss Nipper's husband, Herbert, her son, who was 12 at the time of the killing. They left the prison without talking. Uh, and that was pretty much the end of Mr. Williams. Good riddance, right? Yeah. Another fine example of not how to be a human being. He forgives everybody. Yeah, he forgives everybody for, else. Uh, you know, how, putting it how, how, through I'm, I'm so thankful he forgave me. Yeah. That's crazy. And, uh, so let me take you to another one. Feltus Taylor, y'all. Now, I... If I haven't covered this on Real Life Real Crime, I had notes on this to do, but I'm pretty sure I covered it already. But this is a craziness. Um, so Taylor uh, is a murderer, and the, the murder was committed during a robbery. Um, the date of the murder was March 27, 1991. He was arrested the same day. And the victim was Donna uh, Ponsano and he, he shot her to death in EBR, y'all, and he was executed on June 6, 2000. But I'll tell you about the crime. On the morning of March 27, 1991, Donna Ponsano was working as a cook at Cajun's Fabulous Fried Chicken Restaurant on Florida Boulevard. Do you remember that? Yep. That, that was like the precursor to uh, Popeye's. Yeah, it ended it up was, being it was, Popeye's. It was really yeah. good, really good chicken. Yep. The, um, at approximately 7 a.m., Keith Clark, the restaurant manager, arrived to assist Ponsano and open uh, for business. After 10 in the morning chores in the rear of the restaurant, Clark returned to the front and noticed Taylor at the front door knocking. Now, y'all, Taylor was a former employee of the restaurant whom Clark had hired approximately six months earlier. And he also had fired him about two weeks before for poor performance. But he and Clark were still friendly. Clark opened the door for Taylor and allowed him to enter the restaurant 
At this time, Taylor, who was experiencing financial problems, asked Clark to rehire him. Clark refused, but assisted him in searching for another job by giving him money to buy a newspaper. It's for internet, y'all. And sitting with him in a restaurant booth to review classified job advertisements. Clark found that a local Popeye's restaurant was seeking a cook and called to recommend Taylor for the job. He made a 9 a.m. appointment with the Popeye's manager responsible for hiring and intended to accompany Taylor to discuss his qualifications. Right? He's helping the old boy out. Yeah. Well, while waiting for the time of the appointment, Clark continued with his morning routine, and Taylor helped by sweeping the dining area of the restaurant. How good of him. As Clark was placing money into the cash register, Taylor decided that robbery was the solution to his financial problems. He exited the restaurant and got a 22 caliber handgun in handcuffs from his car, which was parked in the front. Uh, he then re-entered the restaurant and grabbed Ponsano, held the gun to her head, and demanded that Clark open the restaurant's floor safe, which was located in a storeroom towards the rear of the building. Initially, Clark refused, but complied after Taylor again threatened to shoot Ponsano uh, in the head. As the three of them went to the back of the restaurant, Clark tried to escape through a rear entry door. However, his attempts were unsuccessful because the door was locked. Taylor then handcuffed Clark and Pisano together. Clark opened the safe and gave Taylor its contents of approximately a whopping $800. Clark tried to convince Taylor not to continue with the robbery, but he refused, saying that his financial problems were too serious and his car payment of $134 was due. Clark responded by offering the loan or give him a personal check to make the payment. Taylor refused the officer offer and instructed Clark not to inform the police about the robbery. After Clark told Taylor that he would not lie to the police, he again asked Clark to rehire him. Ponsano expressed her opposition to rehiring Taylor, and Clark agreed. Taylor then shot Ponsano, hitting her five times in the head and upper forearm, after emptying the gun, he exited the room, reloaded, returned, and shot Clark in the head. He then entered the cash register of approximately $580 and exited through the front door and got in his car and drove away. Um, earlier, while Taylor was herding Clark and Pensano to the back of the restaurant, another employee occasions, uh, Bio Kegler, arrived between 8 and 8.30 to begin her workday. She recognized Taylor's car in the front of the building, and when no one responded to her knocking on the door, Kegler looked into the front windows and saw Taylor and Clark going to the storeroom. She waited for a few minutes, went to the rear building, and looked through a two-way peep hole in the back door where she saw Taylor exit and return to the storeroom. Shortly thereafter, she heard the gunshots and ran to a neighboring Frost Stop restaurant where she alerted the Frost Stop employees who... Uh, called 911, and during the 911 telephone call, Taylor exited the restaurant and got into his car. As he drove away, Johns was able to read his license plate number and, and related to the 911 operator. And when the police and emergency medical personnel arrived at the scene, they found Pisano and Clark lying in the storeroom handcuffed together, each with multiple gunshot wounds to the head. Pisano died two days later after treatment and surgery near a hospital, but Clark survived. Mm. The suffers with paralysis and minor brain damage. <laughs> at approximately 10 p.m. on the day of the shooting, police arrested Taylor near his apartment for attempted first-degree murder and armed robbery, and thereafter he confessed and led police to the stolen money, which was hidden in a field not far from his apartment. Taylor informed police that he had thrown the murder weapons in the Mississippi River. So, y'all, um, just following this execution, it, this was put out by the Irish Times. Feltis Taylor, a cook who murdered one former co-worker and left another paralyzed during the 1991 robbery, was executed last night by lethal injection. A last-ditch appeal in the state district court was rejected yesterday afternoon, and the U.S. Supreme Court refused to block the execution on Monday. Five earlier execution dates had been stayed by state and federal courts. Louisiana State Penitentiary Ward Burl Kane reported Taylor was pronounced dead at 8.40 p.m., and he became the 26th man executed in Louisiana since the death penalty was reinstated there in 1983. Taylor, 38 years old, was convicted in 1992 of gunning down Miss Donna Pansano, an employee at a fast food restaurant from which he had been sacked. 
He also paralyzed his former boss, Mr. Keith Clark, with four shots to the head. He stole about $1,300 before shooting Ms. Pensano. Prison spokeswoman Kathy Jett said Taylor's last words were, I want to tell you, Keith, and the Pensano family that I've always regretted what I've done. It was my own doing. After this is over with, I hope you can find the peace to move on. For his last meal, Taylor ate onion rings, barbecued ribs, and shrimp, corn on the cob, and toast, and cheesecake. So that's that fine. Oh, yeah. Outstanding. Citizen. Right? Yeah. Five shot him. The, the, the guy's paralyzed, the manager, Key, but he shot him five times in the head. Yeah. He intended to Disgusting. kill him. He intended to leave them both dead. Disgusting. And, uh, and we're going to tell you about another one, and that's Robert Wayne Sawyer. And he was executed by lethal injection on March 5th of 1993. And y'all aren't going to believe this crime. So on September 28th of 1979, Robert Sawyer, Francis Arwood, and Charles Lane were at Cynthia Shano's mother's house in Gratina, Louisiana. And that's just outside of New Orleans, y'all. So Arwood was Shano's sister-in-law and was babysitting with Shano's two small children who were also present. Sawyer lived at the resident with Shano, and when Shano returned home at approximately 12.30 p.m. that day, Sawyer, Lane, and Arwood were arguing. As the arguing continued, Sawyer pushed Arwood's head back against the sofa bed and hit her in the face. At this point, uh, Lane also hit Arwood in the face with his fist. Sawyer then started hitting her in the chest, and as Arwood tried to get up off the bed, Sawyer kicked her in the chest and told her, get up and go wash yourself. Mm. After Shano had gone into the bedroom with the children, she heard Lane hitting Arwood. When she came out, Shano observed Sawyer drab Arwood by the hair into the bathroom. When Arwood would not get into the bathtub, Sawyer kicked her in the chest, knocked her into the tub, and hit her head against the wall. Lane then pulled Arwood out of the bathtub and undressed her. The bathroom door was closed for about 20 minutes. While Lane was in the bathroom alone with Arwood, Sawyer boiled hot water. He went into the bathroom and poured detergent over the victim's head and poured hot water Mm -hmm. on her. Lane started ducking the victim's head under the water and punching her with with his fist. Sawyer and Lane then punched Arwood, pulled Arwood out of the bathtub And when the victim resisted by hitting Sawyer, he screamed, kicked her in the chest, and Arwood's head either hit the windowsill or the bathtub and rendered her unconscious. Sawyer and Lane then carried the victim into the living room, dropped her face down on the floor. Uh, Lane started kicking Arwood in the rib area, and while Sawyer walked on her back, after Sawyer beat the victim with a leather belt, the two men put Arwood on the sofa bed. Shano, who had been screaming for them to stop, covered the victim's body with a blanket. While Shano was in the bathroom, after becoming nauseated, obviously from all of this, she heard Sawyer state to the defendant, I'll show you how cruel I can be. When Shano returned from the bathroom, she observed smoke coming from the victim's face and from the victim's legs, which were open. Lane was laughing and informed her that his penis was burned because he was having sex, sexual intercourse with the victim while Sawyer set the devil. them on fire. After some of Shano's friends arrived at the house, the victim was transported to the hospital. Arwood, who arrived at the hospital in a coma, had third-degree burns all over her body, lacerations on her chin, swelling in the face and neck, and she died on November 21st of 1979. The cause of death, significant brain damage from blunt head injury and extensive burns all over the majority of her body. Sawyer and Lane continued to lounge about the residence. They listened to records, discussed the disposition of Miss Orwood's body, and Lane fell asleep next to the beaten and swollen body of the victim. Shortly after noon, Shano's sister and nephew came for a visit. When the nephew knocked insistently, Sawyer gave Shano the key to open the door, and she ran in screaming to the safety of her relatives. Her 
excited, uh, inco- you know, her demeanor was just right. incomprehensible to her nephew and sister until they looked inside, saw the gruesome scene in Arwood's beaten and blistered body. They also saw Sawyer sitting on the bed with his feet propped up on the edge of the couch. In the meantime, Shano called for police and emergency units, and when the authorities arrived, they arrested Lane Sawyer and rushed Arwood to the hospital. So the, this the, one of the most horrible crimes right. I've read about. Right. Uh, obviously, they were sentenced uh, and convicted. Now, the interesting thing was Lane was tried first, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Sawyer was convicted by a unanimous jury, which then proceeded to give him death. Uh, and on March 5th of 1993, he was executed by lethal injection at Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. His final statements, Can't you may be to, curious. What can't he, wait to hear this one. Yeah. What did he say? His final statements was as follows. I would like to tell all young kids who might read this that drinking and hang, hanging with the wrong people will get you where I am right now. I hope that nobody else has to go through what I have gone through. It's always about them, right, isn't right. it, Woody Over? And not about the kill. The no. Victims, huh? No, you notice that, y'all? It's always about them. I hope nobody else has to go through what I have gone through. Boy, you got some balls. Especially young kids. I'm sorry for any hurt and pain that they say say I've caused. I have no hard feelings towards anyone. There you go. It's becoming a habit, isn't it? Truly a psychopath. I just want my sister, my brother-in-law, my son, all my families and friends to know I love them, and I'll be waiting on them in heaven. Yeah, I bet. How about that? Hopefully he didn't make it to heaven. But that that is one of the sickest crimes I've ever heard. Yeah, it's horrible. I'd love to see you cover that one on real life. Right, and maybe I'll try to get in that case file. I mean, geez, Louise, I I didn't know. I don't know why I don't know about him. Or I know now, right, on Bloody Angola. Yeah. Um, And all these people, y'all, lived on death row, exhausted their appeals. they, They truly were part of the fabric of bloody and gold, right? Yes. As is this next guy, Dalton Prejean. Um, y'all, he, he killed two people and just one, it was in Lafayette and, um, he's electrocuted on May 18th, 1990. Now let me tell you this story. Okay. So at about five o'clock in the morning on July 2nd, 1977, Prejean, his brother, uh, Joseph and Michael George and Michael Broussard left Rogers Nightclub in Lafayette Parish. The four had spent the night drinking in various lounges in the vicinity. Not unusual. I used to live there. We, we used to bar hop every night, right? Sure. Um, they left Rogers Nightclub in a 1966 Chevrolet driven by Dalton with his brother in the front seat and the other two in the back. The car's taillights were not working. And within a few hundred feet of the lounge, Trooper Cleveland who was on his way to work driving his police vehicle, signaled the Chevrolet to stop. Prejean and his brother attempted to switch places, common, in the front seat because the defendant had been driving without a license. The trooper noticed the switch and ordered the occupants out of the car. He told Michael George and Michael Broussard to get back in, however, and began to search Joseph Prejean. Dalton Prejean Back in the car, stated in reaction to the troopers pushing Joseph against the car over Joseph's protests, he said, I don't like the way he's doing my brother. Mm. Dalton then took a 38 caliber revolver from under the car seat and got out the car and approached the officer with the gun hidden against his leg. As he neared the trooper, he fired without warning. Trooper Cleveland was struck by two bullets and was killed. Dalton and his companions fled the scene, but were apprehended several hours later. Dalton was once again given psychological tests during pretrial confinement, and on the basis of the Weschler Intelligence Scale, the Stanford-Bennett Vocabulary Subtests and the Bender-Gestalt Test, Dr. Williams Hawkins determined that he functioned at the dull normal level in the verbal area, but in the borderline mental retardation area and the performance area. He had a verbal IQ of 82 and a performance IQ of 72 and his full scale IQ is 76 with a full scale mental age of 13 years, six months. On May 18, 1990, Prejean was executed by electric chair at Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola. 
In his final statement, he provided, nothing is going to be accomplished. I have peace with myself. All right, it's about him. I'd like to Jesus. thank all of those who supported me all these years. I also like to thank my loved ones for being strong. My son will be a better person for not letting something like this bring his life. Keep strong, keep pushing, keep praying. They said it wasn't for the revenge, but it's hard for me to see to understand. I hope they're happy. So I forfeit my life. I give my love to all, and God bless. That that's amazing. Again, uh, it seems like every one of these guys, it's they're the victim. Well, you better believe if I'd done it, I'd be on that table begging for forgiveness from that family and begging Jesus to uh, to the second I fell asleep from the dope or 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 whatever. And these days are all about, "Mm, you know, yeah, my people be straight and whatever. Just insane. Now we're going to tell you about Edward Byrne and. this is a gruesome Gertie uh, yeah, rider. Gruesome Gertie. Road that gruesome so, Gertie. Oh, shout out to Thomas Kane. Thomas Kane. Yeah, right? yeah. Who's going to be playing at the Bayou Country Superfest right here in Livingston Parish? I believe it. it it'll be this weekend. Oh, no, either this weekend or next weekend. Uh, but Thomas Kane will be playing at that. Oh. Chase Tyler. They got a lot of bands going to be there. Chase Tyler. Be a whole weekend. Crime. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, but back to our stories. Edward right. Byrne Road grew some dirty on June 14th, 1988. And, you know, it's interesting, y'all, when we're researching this stuff, some of them you have just a ton of information on. Right. Some of them you don't. Uh, it's just the way it is behind the wire. You know, it's a, it's hard to get information on, on what goes on. But we're going to tell you a Especially little bit about the, the ones that, that- – you know, these crimes were committed in the 70s now. We're talking oh, yeah. About shit like that. Yeah, so exactly. It's not like they had anything other than newspaper articles to go by. It's not like the Internet. That's right. And, and Edward Byrne was executed on June 14th of 1988. He was convicted of the murder of Roberta Johnson, who was a Bossier City service station cashier. Right. Uh, during a August 14th, 1984 robbery, Byrne had previously dated Johnson. Mm-hmm. He beat her on the head and upper body with a ball peen hammer. What? Then that didn't take long. Robbed her of seven thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Byrne made no final public statement. He told the pardon board the day before his execution, "I don't know exactly what it is that I can say to y'all. I was planning to rob this woman all along. Mm-hmm. It was a setup. There were no flaws that I could see. I just attempted to knock her unconscious, and it didn't work." Yeah, yeah. She didn't become unconscious. I just kept hitting her until she did. Oh my god! So it's her fault, Woody. Right? It's her fault. She yeah, wouldn't go unconscious fast enough hammer. with a ball peen yeah. freaking hammer, yeah. y'all. Now, uh, the article that was written just after his execution: a man who robbed and fatally bludgeoned his girlfriend died early today in Louisiana's electric chair. Uh, it was the 100th execution in the United States since the 1976 Supreme Court ruling that reinstituted capital punishment. Uh, the 28-year-old killer was executed at Louisiana State Penitentiary for the August 1984 hammer slaying of Roberta Johnson, who was 25, uh, and he admitted to the crime. Uh, so Mr. Byrne clad blue jeans and a T-shirt, and he claimed that, as we just told you, he never intended to kill the victim. Yeah, he just wanted to knock her unconscious. Out. He said he was planning to rob her, uh, and that was it. So uh, since his arrest, Mr. Byrne did admit that he started dating Miss Johnson because he knew she handled large sums of money at the service station where she worked, but he insisted that, again, he never meant to kill her. Mm. Uh, so he had the... Um, the pleasure of riding gruesome girding and again another guy who denies you know that right. he has any responsibility yeah. in this it was yeah. her fault her fault because she had a lot of money and me. i just wanted to knock her out yeah, yeah. and y'all i'm gonna do one more and uh and this is just crazy I, I, and one we'll continue these stories again another point because these are just mind-blowing right um, I'm going to tell you about Thomas Lee Ward. Mm. Um, 
Thomas Lee Ward was an American murderer. He was tried, convicted, and executed by a lethal injection in Louisiana for the murder of his stepfather-in-law, John Spencer. So on the night of June 22, 1983, Ward claims he arrived in New Orleans from California by bus. He went to the residence of Lydia and John Spencer, the mother and stepfather of his wife. Ward's wife and children were also staying at the house. Ward was allowed in the house to visit his children. He asked and was allowed to bathe and freshen up. Ward learned that his wife had began receiving welfare and the family was having some trouble with one of the daughters. Ward later claimed that this upset him, but rather than saying or doing anything rash, he just left the house. Mm-mm. He then went to a local bar where he drank vodka and beer and hit up with cocaine. Right. Mm. Ward returned to the house at approximately 5.30 a.m. Now, that's a long time in the bar. And asking to see his children one last time. After visiting with the children, he gave his wife his address and phone number in New York, then went into the bedroom of his wife's mother and stepfather. He pulled out a gun, pointed at John Spencer, and said, I'm sorry, John, I have to kill you. He then shot. At least he apologized first. Right. He then shot Spencer once at close range. As Lydia Spencer reached for her husband, Ward shot her in the stomach. When she turned around, he shot her in the back. Lydia Spencer ran for the door, trying to get out of the house. Ward followed her, striking her with three more shots. Linda Ward and her brother, Ernest Scott, heard the shooting and ran from the house to get help from neighbors. When the police arrived, Ward walked up to the police officers on the guys that turned himself in. The police did not seize Ward at first, and, and not yet knowing that he was the alleged murderer, Ward claims the police shoot him away because he was drunk. After further investigation at the scene, the police realized who Ward was and arrested him. So go to the trial. Ward was indicted by the Orleans Parish Grand Jury with first-degree murder. And on August 15, 1984, the jury at Ward's trial found him guilty as charged. After a sentencing hearing in which Ward testified, the jury unanimously recommended a sentence of death. Mm. So Ward was executed by lethal injection at Bloody Angola on March 16, 1995. He declined to make a final statement, but dictated to his attorney that, I am leaving the world at peace with myself and with the Almighty. I feel remorse for the things that I did. I hope that young people today will learn from the violence is, that violence is not an answer. I hope the legal system learns that lesson too. The death penalty is not a solution. Of course not. Right. Of course not. Especially when you get him. I mean, yeah, yeah. But the, the, but he can administer the death penalty. Right, right. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and just wake the dude up in his bed and say, mm, sorry, I have to I have to kill you insane. tonight. And and I mean Whatever. Just insane. Yeah, and uh, and uh, I mean, evil exists. And Lord like sure we told y'all last week, uh, um, certainly we don't want anyone executed no. uh, incorrectly, if you right. would be. But it certainly it, these stories don't move you. Um, I don't know what will. Yeah. And uh, we definitely want to mention Hello Fresh real quick. And Absolutely. the fact that, oh look, God. what a deal. 16, 16 free, free meals, meals plus free shipping with the code Bloody Angola 16. So you, you go to HelloFresh.com slash Bloody Angola 16 yeah. and you can take advantage of that. Y'all, I got to talk about this real quick. And I didn't, they're not even. HelloFresh is not paying for us to talk about this right now, but I'm going to tell you how much I believe in it. I hate to go to the grocery store. I had to do it on Mother's Day, right, because I was cooking. Uh, Other than that, I'm ordering HelloFresh because everything is like restaurant chef meals. It comes with the the easy recall. All the ingredients. In like 30 minutes, all the ingredients. Like uh, I had pork steaks the other night with this pasta and and sauces and, and it's all this stuff that's put together by professionals and shit is cheap. Yeah. And when you, you can, you, you put the, like the ones I'll order or order for four people, right? The meals, mm-hmm. when you put that price against what it takes you, the time going to the grocery store, uh, getting something wrong with the price of everything in the grocery store nowadays. 
or ordering out. Yeah. Shit, it's the same thing. Yeah. And now, if you don't believe me, use our out. code, get 16 free meals. Go to plus Hello, free shipping. Plus free. That's right. Plus free shipping. Y'all, I love it when those boxes show up at my door. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cindy, too. Cindy, too. Eating like a uh, king that night. So. Yeah, definitely. But, so check that out. We yeah. want to thank all our uh, all our team members from our yeah, patron. Right. Uh, could not, you know, we say it every episode, but we couldn't. Can't we do couldn't do any you. of this without all and of you. Y'all didn't listen to our HelloFresh commercial because you get the commercial-free early releases. Uh, but yeah. we, we want to thank you anyway. And that's y'all right. should need to check out HelloFresh because the deal is 16 free meals. God. That's and they're legit meals, man. They're legit. So check that out. Uh, if you have any, one thing I did want to mention, if you have any case cases that you want us to check out and, and you know, that are bloody and gullible related, right. send them to or, us. Or if you work there, we still got to do a yeah. tour. We, we got to do a tour. That's right. There. And if you're listening and you're over the tours, reach out to us because I always forget. Yes. <laughs> There's shit going on. And, but, and we want to say to our, our favorite Angola warden, uh, we Burrow Kane. Burrow Kane. We, we want to have you on the show. So we'd love to have you on and uh, and discuss your your time and all the great things you did yeah. at Louisiana State yeah. Penitentiary. So and reach out career. to us, please, yeah. sir. He's got the stories forever. That's right. And uh, we love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. Bloody Angola has risen to the top of the charts up, up, up. because of y'all. And please keep telling everybody else about us and liking and sharing and all that good stuff. I'm going to love and appreciate you. That's right. Until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. Your host of Bloody Angola. A podcast 142 years in the making. The complete story of America's bloodiest prison. Peace. Straight line, shackle and chain. Oh, gruesome Gertie is calling my name. There is no mercy in this penitentiary. Just ask the Hill String Gang, Rango. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.